Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to another episode of the Self-Build Plus podcast, where we chat with self-builders, suppliers, and experts about all things home building and renovating in Ireland on both sides of the border. I'm Astrid Matson, your host and the editor of Self-Build magazine. You probably already know the Republic of Ireland launched its Climate Action Plan this June as part of a wider EU project. In it, 183 actions, including banning oil and gas boilers from new builds by 2022 and 2025, respectively, changes to the grant system for installation and renewables, as well as the introduction of new financing models to help you pay for pricey energy upgrades in the home. Now, the new Climate Action Plan also includes the rollout of a feed-in tariff, whereby homeowners will get paid for electricity they export to the grid. Northern Ireland used to pay a base rate plus a top-up. That top-up was removed a few years back, but the basic export payment is still available. Now, to discuss plans to introduce a feed-in tariff in the Republic, we caught up with Brian Denver. He's Program Executive in Low Carbon Technologies at the Sustainable Energy Authority of Ireland. The SEAI is the government body that takes care of energy efficiency grants. So, Brian, can you run through how the grant system for installing solar PV panels to generate electricity in the home works at the moment? Most people will be familiar with solar panels um, but an important distinction to make is between the solar panels that produce electricity and the solar panels that produce hot water. Um, so there's, there's two different kinds um, and there are actually grants available for both types in Ireland. Um, but the, the solar PV grant, um, so that's the, the type of solar panel that produces electricity. Um, so that's, that's been introduced last year um, and it's effectively a grant. Um, it's, a, it's a rebate really, but it's a grant um, effectively, um, which covers about 30% of the upfront cost of a solar PV system. Um, so the size of the grant really depends on the size of the system, um, but it can be up to €1,400 Euros, um, for the PV system, so the solar panels themselves. 
Um, so that's 700 euros per kilowatt, um, and the grant goes up to a maximum of about two, two kilowatts. Um, but then if you install a battery, you're also eligible for an extra 1,000 euro grant. Um, and the, the idea there is that if you want to install a bigger system, um, you need some way to, or ideally you want some way to store the electricity that you can't use. Um, so one of the, the kind of quirks of electricity is that you, you kind of have to use it or lose it if you're generating electricity yourself. Um, it has to be used at the time that you generate it unless you have some form of storage in place like a battery or a, a diverter to your um, to your hot water tank. Um, so there's also an additional €1,000 grant there potentially for battery storage. Okay, so what's the typical size that someone would install, let's say, on a, an average house? Would it be like in terms of the cost that that would be and um, how big the, the system would be? So, yes, yeah, so it'll vary a lot depending on the size of the house, the occupancy. Um, but but typically, um, based on some analysis we did in the SEAI, um, around two kilowatts, um, which is maybe seven, six, seven, eight panels, um, depending on the efficiency of the panels, um, that's that's about sufficient to ensure that you're using as much of that electricity that the panels produce as possible. Um, so to, to kind of maximize the return on your investment, you want to be using as much of the electricity that those panels produce as possible. Um, if you're not using it, it's just being exported to the grid. It's being um, spilled over. And at the moment, you don't get any kind of payment for that in Ireland in most cases. So to maximize the amount that you uh, you use, um, about two kilowatts for a typical home mm. will be about right. Yeah. Now it could be much bigger than for for um, for larger homes with three or four bedrooms where there's higher occupancy. And that would cover about a third of the demand of a household. Is that right? It varies a lot, um, but it could be yeah, maybe about a third. Um, but it could be as much as fifty percent if it's a smaller smaller home. So the idea of the battery is to to try and capture and use as much of the electricity that you generate as possible. Now, there's an additional cost to that. So installing a battery isn't cheap. Um, but the idea is that in principle, if you size the battery and system correctly, instead of using just 70 or 80 percent of the electricity that you generate, you can store the stuff that you're, uh, that's being generated when nobody's in the house or maybe you don't have that much, that many appliances operating at the time. Um, and then you can use as much of that as possible. And all of the, all of the electricity you use um, from the solar panels is basically offsetting electricity that you would otherwise have bought from your supplier, your, um, your, your energy utility, and that stuff is, is more expensive. So it's basically kind of maximizing the savings on your energy bills by using as much of the electricity that you generate yourself as possible. Yeah, because the, the, the cost for a battery seems, yeah, as you say, it's quite high. I think it's like, what, six, seven grand or something like that in that kind of area. So you're getting a grand from, uh, from the grant. So how about the idea of diverting uh, some of that excess energy to the hot water tank? Is that a more common option that people are taking up? I'm not sure if it's a more common option. Um, it, it, there definitely 
installers out there who offer it. Um, it's probably a cheaper upfront cost, um, but obviously there's a there's a, a kind of an efficiency loss um, in um, in converting that electricity into heat and then storing it and potentially not using it for a while. But um, but it is another way to to use as much of that energy as possible. The other thing to remember is that it's cheaper to heat a unit of uh, cheaper to produce a unit of heat than it is to produce a unit of electricity, um, typically. Mm-hmm. And so, if you're displacing or um, replacing electricity and reducing your uh, the amount of electricity you're using, generally that's going to be more cost effective than reducing the amount of heat that you use in your home. Okay. And um, and in terms of the cost then of the panels, roughly you guys did some studies as well, I think, didn't you? It is about five grand for kind of a, an average household for the two kilowatt. Is that roughly correct? Or? That's, that's about right, yeah. It, it varies a lot. And um, it, it, it varies depending really on the maturity of the market. Um so it's probably cheaper in somewhere like the UK where they have a, a, a supply chains set up for years um, installing these things. Um, but it also, things like the cost of labor affected as well. But typically, yeah, maybe around um, 2,500 euros per kilowatt. Um, but it could be much cheaper than that. And what we always encourage homeowners and businesses to do is seek out as many quotes as you can, ideally two or three. Um, because uh, competition will drive those prices down. Um, so that's that's really key is seeking out multiple quotes for these solar systems if you're considering them. Mm-hmm. And you guys have a list of approved PV installers to, to go to on your website to choose from that list is important as well, isn't it? Certainly if you wish to avail of the grant, um, then it has to be done by one of those uh, registered install- installers. But the list is growing all the time, um, so there are plenty to choose from, and it's a good place to start. Great. And uh, just the, who's eligible then? Your house has to be built um, 2011 or earlier, isn't that right? So you wouldn't get it for yes. a new build, for example. No, so... The grant is available to dwellings built and occupied before 2011. Um, So it's really targeted at existing homes rather than new homes. So then you mentioned that, so these systems, they connect to the grid then, do they? The, like if you install PV panels, is there a grid connection automatically every time? I thought there wasn't necessarily, is there? So yes, in, in pretty much all cases, um, when the installer comes and uh, installs the solar panels on your roof, um, they will be connected to the grid. Mm-hmm. So then, so but you don't obviously when there's too much electricity that's being generated, you 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 export it to the grid, uh, but you don't get paid for that. So that's what we're looking at changing now with the climate action plan, isn't it? Yes. So that's certainly part of it. Um, so as I mentioned. At the moment in Ireland, any of the electricity that you can't use um, and it, it, that is spilt over or exported into the grid, um, in most cases, you don't receive any kind of payment for that electricity. Um, and in some other countries, you would. Um, so that is part of what um, is going to be addressed through the uh, climate action plans. So one of the actions in there. Um, is around forming a working group 
kind of um, multi-departmental, cross-departmental group to do two things, really. One is to look up the existing barriers to homeowners or businesses or communities installing solar PV or other forms of what we call micro-generation. So basically, you know, small-scale generation, which is usually installed at the distribution network level and is intended to to provide generation for um, a demand that's on site so it's all about kind of self consumption um so that grid is that group is addressing um, some of the barriers that might be in place to allowing people to do that and then they also want to look at potential supports to create an incentive um or to to enable people to um, uh, to, to make the economics of the investment work out a little bit more favorably. So what kind of other feed-in tariffs have been implemented elsewhere? How do they work? There is no real universal hard and fast definition of a feed-in tariff. Um, it encompasses a lot of different variations on a theme. Um, but in this context, the feed-in tariff is generally understood to mean a guaranteed payment for electricity generated by some sort of renewable system. So as an example... If you have solar panels on your roof and the roof of your home and they're generating electricity during the daytime and you're eligible to receive a feed-in tariff, then you would basically receive a payment for the electricity generated or at least some portion of it. Um, There are a few different flavors, so they've been implemented in different ways in different places. Um, And there there are probably four main variants um, to be aware of each of which is slightly different um, and some are more generous than others. So um, you can distinguish between these four. I'll list them maybe in order of least generous to most generous for the homeowner or the business. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is what's generally termed a basic export payment. So this is basically just a simple basic market price that you're paid for the electricity that you have to export to the grid. So this might be somewhere around four or five or six cents per kilowatt hour. Um, So that's four or five, six cents per unit of electricity that's exported. Um, So if you have panels... 18 cents that we pay for importing it, roughly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. so the retail price is... So yeah, the retail price, the unit price is probably, you know, usually sort of 16, 17, 18, 19, around that that mark at the moment in Ireland. so that's that's a kind of a basic export payment, um, and not and that's where the electricity you're exporting is reflecting the value of the electricity to the grid. So this is the five six cents. That's kind of more or less where the wholesale electricity price um, sits. So the electric that's the electricity price that the energy companies themselves trade. Um, so that's the kind of minimum. Um, export payment. That's the sort of minimum from a feed-in tariff you would expect. And the next option, the second option that's a little bit more generous would be some sort of export payment support. So this is basically just a basic export payment, but a little bit higher. So in just instead of just being paid the going market rate, you're paid a little bit more, a level that's usually set by policymakers to provide a bit of an additional incentive to people to drive them to install solar, solar PV or some other form of microgeneration. So that's the export payment support. The third then is probably the one that most people are familiar with in the most common form, which is a, what's, what's also called a generation payment. So this is a 
a payment for all of the electricity that is generated, um, including the portion that you consume yourself. So instead of just being paid for the 20% or 30% of the electricity that you export, you get paid for everything. Um, and then the final one, which is the most generous, um, is called net metering. Um, so that's basically where any electricity that you export shows up then on your electricity bill as a credit. So you're effectively getting paid for the stuff that you export by your energy supplier at that retail price of electricity. So, you know, closer to the 16 to 20 cents per kilowatt hour level. Um, so that's the most generous type. You don't see that this is often now. It, it is still implemented, I think, in California, um, but it hasn't really been used in Europe because it's it's the most expensive and the most generous. Um, so those are the four, the basic export payment and export payment support, a generation payment, um, and then finally uh, net metering. In most countries that have introduced a feed-in tariff, it tends to be targeted towards installing systems on existing homes as opposed to supporting systems on new homes. So typically the feed-in tariffs have been introduced to incentivize people to invest in say so rooftop solar PV systems um, in on their homes or kind of retrofitting them to their home. Um, for driving installation of renewables on new homes, it tends to be more the building regulations that have um, that have focused the mines there and have driven that uptake. Um, so in Ireland, the building regulations are part L of the building regulations and do tend to incentivize the installation of um, solar PV on new homes. Yeah, they're, they're um, coming makes into sense. force in November. Yeah, those regs. Um, wait, so you're saying that it's, it's possible that um, if we follow a European model that they wouldn't... Um, that a, a new build wouldn't be eligible for a feed-in tariff? It's possible. So there, remember, I mentioned there was four different brands of feed-in mm -hmm. tariff or four flavors, the basic export payment, a more, say, a slightly higher export payment support, the generation payment and net metering. The basic export payment, in principle, should be available to everyone. Um, so this EU directive, which requires all member states to make sure um, renewable self-consumers, people with solar panels in their homes, get paid for the export. That should apply to everyone. So it doesn't matter if it's a new build or an existing home, that would apply to everyone. For the others, um, it really depends on um, what the working group um, produce and what they, what they decide they want to incentivize. Um, there is an argument that the ultimate goal is to incentivize more investment in renewable energy. And if the building regulations already require that installation of renewable energy, then that should be sufficient to to sort of to support the new build market to install those systems. Mm -hmm. um, so it could be possible that whatever support regime is introduced, um, part of it at least could be exclusively for existing homes to incentivize them to install um, solar PV or other uh, renewable technologies. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. 
So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, but on a new build, you wouldn't necessarily, even with the new regs, you, if you put in a heat pump, you didn't, wouldn't necessarily have to put PV. I mean, it depends on the house, but, and the calculations yeah. that are done, but, um, but then I suppose you're putting in a heat pump, so everyone's happy still on the renewables. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then, um, so in, and in Germany, what do they do? Because they incentivize really well. I think there's a big uptake there, isn't there? Which one of the models is the German model? Germany essentially had a generation payment, the third one. So it was a payment for everything that was generated, not just the exported stuff. Um, and it, it started at quite a high, quite a generous level. And so in 2008, it was around 45 cents per kilowatt hour. And that's oh. been that's been reduced um, year on year, um, basically, as, as the kind of as the costs have mounted of supporting the scheme, but also as the, the cost of installing solar PV systems have come down. Um, and now it's it's lower, it's less than 10 cents per kilowatt hour. Um, but Germany were actually instrumental in, in kind of testing this system and scaling it up. And in fact, a lot of the big cost reductions in these solar panel systems that we enjoy now are accredited the German subsidy scheme and a lot of other big subsidy schemes in European states. Um, so we've indirectly benefited from that subsidy scheme in a way. So why is the retail electricity rate so much higher than the wholesale rate? It's important to be aware that the retail price is not always higher than the wholesale price. Sometimes actually the wholesale price is much, much higher, um, but it's the average wholesale price, which is usually lower. So there are good reasons why there's a gap between this wholesale price of electricity and then the ultimate retail price that the consumers see on their bill. So you could think of this a bit like the difference between what a big supermarket chain like super value might pay their banana suppliers for each individual banana compared with what price super value's customers end up paying there's always a difference to account for various other costs um so in electricity markets the wholesale price is what the energy suppliers like electric ireland will pay and this fluctuates quite a lot uh, in time in electricity markets. It can get really, really high sometimes depending on what's happening at a particular time with electricity demand or supply. Um, and likewise, it can be very, very low as well. So the, so the retail price is higher than the average wholesale price, but often the wholesale price is much higher. Um, and energy suppliers are insulating their customers from those fluctuations um, so that explains part of the difference. They're, they're factoring in this uncertainty in the in the price movements in the wholesale market. Um, but then there are also other costs that are factored in. So things like um, network charges for the use of the electricity grid um, and then transaction costs and all of the suppliers operational costs. So there, there will always be a gap between these two. 
So then in other countries that do have a feed-in tariff, would it be the case that um, it's it's that, that level that they get, that you get paid for the electricity that you export, that would be um, always fixed then? It would never really fluctuate just for convenience and just to be able to plan ahead, I suppose, I presume. But how, like, how long are those rates fixed for in other countries? Is there kind of like, is it reviewed every couple of years or...? Because people need to have a bit of certainty of how much they're going to get for the electricity. The yeah, of course. Yes, yes, of course. And again, it varies from place to place, but typically um, you'll be locked into a fixed feed-in tariff rate um, for a period of maybe you know, ten years, fifteen years. It varies. Um, the, the rate will go down over time, but that's just for new customers, new people joining. So once you've often once you've joined, um, you'll you'll be you'll you'll stay, stick to that rate. Um, when it comes to things like a basic export payment, um, and it's linked in some way to that wholesale market, then there may be some variability. Uh, because the, the the price in that wholesale market will change from year to year, or the average price will change from year to year, um, depending on all sorts of things. Um, so, uh, yeah, ultimately it, it varies, but usually in the past anyway, in other countries, it, it's been fixed and um, dependable. And uh, and is wasn't the issue in Ireland that, or the excuse, I, I suppose, or the reason why we haven't introduce a feed-in tariff uh, here it was that it would be too much on the grid that it would all these little piecemeal bits of electricity being fed into the grid would be too much to cope and was that was that not the issue before like because this has been on the table for a while but um you know it's is that not a problem in terms of the technical aspect of actually uh, rolling this out by 2021? The technical issues surrounding uh, grid connection and um, network challenges, are they're not necessarily the main hurdle, um, but they're certainly an important one. So um, when you have a lot of micro generation installed in a concentrated area, it can sometimes be challenging for the local network infrastructure to cope, um, especially if they're all generating electricity at the same time on a sunny day. Um, so in Northern Ireland, this actually became an issue from 2015 onwards, where many predominantly business businesses were unable to get permission from the distribution network operator to install. Um, so it is certainly a challenge. It's one that can be managed, um, but it's not necessarily the, uh, the the only challenge or the, the most significant one. So what is the main challenge to rolling it out? The budget, <laughs> putting money aside for it. <laughs> so I think, yes, so, some of the concerns have been around the cost of supporting um, these smaller distributed generators. Um, and I, I don't know if necessarily it's an aversion to the cost. It's just a kind of a, a, a eagerness to understand a bit better what the costs are and how they would be distributed. So one of the concerns um, that's, that's arisen in other countries is about who actually pays um, and who benefits from these sorts of schemes. So um, I was looking at some research earlier from Germany, which suggests that, or it seems to indicate that 
uh, it tends to be wealthier households who avail of the subsidy, who can afford the, the upfront cost of investing in a solar system. Um, but the costs there anyway were distributed evenly between all electricity consumers. So the costs of the scheme, they're not actually paid for by the, by the taxpayer, by the state. They're paid for by consumers, by bill payers um, through a levy that's um, imposed on energy bills. And there what you have is um, the benefits accruing to um, t- typically wealthier households, um, whereas the costs are being distributed between all consumers, inclu- including lower income households. Um, so those kind of potential negative distributional effects have have shown up in a couple of places. And there are ways to manage them. Um, but that is definitely a concern when you when you design a scheme, a feed-in tariff scheme, about how you how you fairly distribute the costs of supporting something like that. Mm. So, how how would you deal with that? I can't really see a way around it. If you're, um, you know, even for the grant, it's obviously people who can afford to pay those couple thousand euro in the first place. How would you mitigate against that? Yeah, so there are various options. Um, so one thing that's actually alluded to in the Climate Action Plan is about looking at the, the structure of uh, retail electricity bills in Ireland. Um, so there's this charge on electricity bills called the Public Service Obligation, the PSO, and that's a fixed charge that everyone pays. And part of the charge goes towards supporting renewables um, deployment in Ireland. Um, but because it's fixed, it means that if you're a big energy home, a big energy user, a home that uses a lot of electricity, you're paying the same amount as a as a small electricity user. Um, so they're proposing maybe looking at that, seeing what other options there are to to changing that so that um, it's distributed in in a, maybe a more equitable way. And part of that could be, if, say, if the um, if if the paying for the feed-in tariff, um, if if the feed-in tariff was paid for via that obligation, via that levy, um, then that could support could support that. But it could be through other things. It could be through um, our you know our welfare system or tax system, um, or it even could be through providing additional supports to lower-income households. Um, you know, say more generous grant or or some sort of other subsidy for energy efficiency measures. So there are various mechanisms um, where you can try and mitigate that. Um, but it's important to understand what the implications might be. So as part of this feed-in tariff, you'll obviously have to be able to count how many kilowatts you're exporting in order to get paid for them, regardless of which yeah. model is adopted. So that that will form an integral part of it, I presume. Yes, so you would need some form of meter, um, an export meter, um, to measure that export. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be a smart meter, um, and potentially certain smart meters um, might not actually have that uh, functionality. Um, but yes, you would need to have some form of export meter installed um, to, to to understand. Know, how many units of electricity are actually spilling out over onto the grid? So, if you could give us a timeline on um, the rollout of the feed-in tariff that's due to be fully rolled out by 2021. Sure. Yes. So, the the climate action plan sets out an action with 
various steps towards actually launching this ongoing support regime for microgeneration. Um, so it's all built really around this working group, um, which is due to be um, set up at some point this year. Um, and as I said, they're going to be looking at the barriers that are in place to microgeneration and what can be done to, to, to remove some of those frictions. And then they're also going to be considering some of the tariff options available or the support regime options available um, to support microgeneration um, in different segments, whether it's residential or um, commercial or industry um, or at a community level. Um, and they're due to come up with something, some proposal by um, the end of the summer next year. Um, and then there will be some sort of public consultation on that. Um, but the ultimate deadline for for delivering some sort of support um, regime is just before the summer 2021. And that that milestone, that date, um, is has been chosen for a reason. Um, so there is now a requirement from the EU that all member states by Q2 2021, so before summer 2021, um, must have introduced some sort of basic export payment for what they call renewable self-consumers. So that basically means um, if you have solar panels on your roof and you're generating electricity, by summer 2021, you will be entitled to get some sort of basic payment wherever you are in the in the EU. Um, so that's come down through um, a, a European directive called the Renewable Energy Directive. And, and that's quite an important milestone. And it means that there is this this minimum, this sort of baseline requirement for every member state that that basic payment needs to be implemented. Um, but then the question is whether this working group um, decide that it's worth introducing something more generous than that, something a bit more ambitious um, above and beyond that, uh, that basic requirement. Mm -hmm. So how many EU countries currently have a feed-in tariff? Oh, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. It, it's a, it, it changes all the time. Um, I would say that most European countries have had some form of feed-in tariff at some point. Um, they've all looked slightly different, um, and some have gone for slightly different supports. Um, but most of them have had one at some point. Now, some of them are beginning to remove them. So um, I think in the Czech Republic... Um, they've removed the feed-in tariff now. In the UK, they've effectively removed it and they're moving towards this basic export payment. Um, in Italy, they've removed it, I think. So it, some countries have had it. Um, some haven't had it at all. Um, some still have it. Um, but, um, but pretty much every country has had some sort of support, including Ireland, some sort of support in place to, to promote microgeneration and distributed renewables. In Ireland, you mean for larger, for businesses, there is a, a, a system, isn't there? But not for homeowners. There never was, was there? Not, so so not, a, not a feed-in tariff, not a, not a payment for generation, but other subsidies, other supports. So um, 
in Ireland. So there's the there's the residential PV grant. Um, there are grants through the Better Energy Communities Program, SEAI's Better Energy Communities Program, SEAI's Deep Retrofit Program. Um, there's the Exceed program um, for businesses, which can include solar grants. Mm-hmm. Um, for for farms, there's the Target Agricultural Modernization Scheme um, that can offer solar PV grants as well. There's the Accelerated Capital Allowance Scheme. So there's loads of sub- subsidies in there, and some countries like Sweden um, would be like Ireland in that it focused on grants as opposed to a seed and tariff approach. Um, so it's it depends really on the country and um, the market conditions, the electricity prices, um, and and also on the kind of the um, the, the the public ex- the exchequer um, funds that are available. I suppose in your first scenario there of um, just paying the market price, it would be the companies directly paying the end consumer the market price, the government wouldn't need to top that up because that's the market price. It really depends. And this is something for the working group to decide, um, you know, where does the money come from uh, to pay for this? In most other countries, it's been the bill payer who's who has um, shouldered the cost. So um, the cost, say, in Germany or in the UK, um, were paid for through a levy on electricity bills, Um so typically it tends to be through the bills, um, through bill payers, as opposed to through an exchequer payment. And um, and in terms of other ways of generating electricity, what other options are there apart from PV? That seems to be the, the most convenient system out there, isn't it? Despite our lack of sunshine. <laughs> yeah, so so. Solar PV tends to dominate the conversation quite a lot, um, just because I think its reduction in costs have been the most remarkable over the last 10 years. Um, but there are other technologies, yep, so small wind turbines can work. Um, they, they tend to be quite site-specific, so if you have a good site, if you have a, a field um, that has reasonable wind speeds and that can be a good option likewise small hydro turbines um, again very site specific Um, and then there's also small scale combined heat and power so um, you know kind of smaller heating and power systems again the market for those is quite small Um, but there are other options of course other than solar PV but, but solar PV is the cheapest of all of those that you mentioned there, maybe apart from hydro, no, it's hydro a bit. The again, solar. yeah, it it depends on the on the site, but I think in most cases for most homes, solar rooftop solar PV will work out as um, as the most cost effective. To me, it sounds a little bit ambitious, to be honest. Um, the timeline, just considering how slow things can be, especially if there's a public consultation, because you'll have to. Yeah read the <laughs> the comments and then incorporate them into the final that takes a while so that's so that we're only looking at a year then for that to get done it's possible i suppose i mean if where there's a will there's a way as well so hopefully it'll yeah it's a quick a quick turnaround and i think this um this format um the action plan format um it was used for the action plan for jobs um which minister Bruton also had a hand in yeah. and it it does seem to have been quite an effective 
format it uh, focuses the minds so um so who knows um and then as i said that that ultimate um deadline then before the summer of 2021 is when some sort of basic export payment um needs to be available so um so that's a hard stop anyway well sort of it's hard and soft because you know there's there's not going to be a huge penalty if we don't meet it exactly then either i presume i mean there, there's been a lot of threats of sanctions from Europe for other things, and mm. I don't think we got fined for most of them. So, okay. Well, I was there anything else? Do you think we need to cover or? So I guess the main thing to say is that home renewable technologies are a great investment for many homeowners. And um, so the costs of them have come down a lot in recent years, particularly for solar PV. And owning your own renewable system will allow you to reduce the spend on energy bills every year and then help you also to, to reduce your own carbon footprint. So they're, they're great from that perspective. We would always say in SEAI, make sure you get independent advice on what's the best solution for your home. And importantly, always get as many quotes as you can from multiple installers. So get three or four quotes um, on the price to make sure you get the best deal. Um, and uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much everything. That's it for this Self Build Plus podcast episode. Tune in next time for more tips and advice from experts and self-builders alike. And make sure to explore everything Self Build Plus has to offer. The Self Build Plus journey guides you through the process of building and home improving. The Self Build Plus forum allows you to share and learn from other self-builders. While the Self Build Plus videos and our Self Build Plus virtual events are packed with information and advice. With self-build, stop dreaming, start building.